Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. Are you still there? Uh, sorry for the sing song. Not the greatest way to kick off our 2020 Wits Up podcast campaign. Do you, do you even call it a campaign? It's not a campaign. It's just what we do, part of what we do, part of the many, many things that we do. Um, I'm finding lately that every discussion that I have ends up in a bit of a sing-song, and I can thank our 16-month-old Frankie Flo for that one, um, who just who loves a bit of a bit of rhythm, a bit of a melody. She doesn't realize that my singing is not fantastic, uh, but it just means that sometimes, every now and then, you guys are going to have to put up with it as well. So if you if you sense that I'm about to start singing, feel free to fast forward uh, past that part. Do you even say fast forward with a podcast? I don't know. Uh, but if you sense that I'm about to break out in song, I won't be offended if you want to skip that part of the podcast. So apologies for that. We are kicking off 2020 with a bit of a retrospective look at 2019. I've grabbed uh, every single episode that we um, published last year and just grabbed a few snippets from here and there. Some are funny, some are insightful, some I just thought were interesting myself. Uh, So I've just jammed them all together into this episode, the first one for the year. If you're enjoying our podcasts um, and you want to hear a lot more, please uh, make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you are using. Leave your feedback, uh, leave a comment, share it on social media. That's how we get it out to more and more people. Uh, And it's also how I can improve uh, with what we are doing behind the scenes with Wits Up as well. We want to make sure that we're giving you what you are after. Now on that note as well, towards the end of last year, we launched our Wits up patreon website which means you can uh, pay to be a member at different levels uh, but basically just help support what we're trying to achieve with wits up all that information is on the patreon platform and that is patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com backslash wits up so check it out we'd love for you guys to get uh, involved and support what we are trying to create here. Uh, now, let's have a look at this episode in order of appearance. The people who we are talking to, Sarah True, Belinda Granger, Heather Wertel, Lindsay Corbin, Lucy Charles Barclay, Meredith Kessler, Sky Munch, uh, Paula Finlay, Radka Carlefelt, and Rachel McBride. Enjoy. What, what does my life look like in 20 years? That has yeah. nothing to do with my occupation. Yeah. So very quiet. Yeah. We'll have land. Yep. Um, like barns and buildings and a coffee roaster <laughs> and a lot of animals. Yeah, so right. we, one of our like future brainstorming is we like to talk about what livestock we're going to have. You know, just how many goats yeah. like, and how many other animals. So yep. definitely on the list, we have one donkey. Gotta um, have a donkey. Gotta have a donkey because <laughs> it's going to be our maple donkey. So we're the part of the <laughs> right now, like this is, this is actually not a thing, but we're making okay. a thing. Okay. Um, so we're, where we live in the U.S., it's, it's known for a lot of maple trees. That's where maple syrup comes from. Right. Um, yeah. Australian maple syrup is not maple syrup. I don't know what it is. Okay. It really makes me angry. 
uh, via false advertising, but whatever. Uh, but wait, what? What it is maple? What's maple syrup in Australia? What's well? Sometimes you'll see maple syrup, and, and it's just like this. I don't know. It doesn't taste. It's not. It's not from maple trees, right? Is in it just Canada sugar? or? I think it's technically well. You can have both things. You have basically maple flavored syrup, or uh. you have. Uh, something that comes from trees that tastes nothing like what we have in the Northeast. Okay. Um, so basically, if it's not from Canada or the Northeastern U.S., yeah. it's BS. So okay. just put it down and, <laughs> or incur my wrath. Um, <laughs> very passionate. Yeah, She's I feel, fired up. I feel very strongly about maple syrup. Um, <laughs> maple syrup, coffee, and dogs. Uh, yeah. Yeah, learning a lot about you. This is great. Okay. Carry on so, with your okay, maple donkey. So Maple Donkey, um, <laughs> whose name has yet to be determined. We haven't met him yet, or her. That's true. Yeah. So Maple Donkey, um, so basically, like the process is, you put buckets out in trees, and yep. when the spring is <laughs> looking at me like I'm crazy, <laughs> and you uh, you put taps into the trees, you drill them in. Okay. When the temperatures drop at night in the springtime. Um, or the temperatures are still cool in the night, but it's warm during the day. You get uh, you get the the fluids going back and forth in the tree, and basically what you end up with is in the buckets is this very kind of sweet water, right? Because um, all the sugars are being transported between the leaves and the roots. Yeah. You take that those buckets. Maple donkey is going to take <laughs> the buckets <laughs> because. I don't want to lift all them. And yeah, they, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they take them to our maple shack. Um, so there okay. we have maple shacks. Again, one of our many outbuildings that we're going to have. Right. So you you have this maple shack, and it's it's a multi day process where basically you just take this sugary water and you boil it down to syrup. Um, right. And so Maple Donkey's job is primarily to do that, like transport the buckets. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think Maple Donkey's name has to be Maple Donkey. <laughs> but then what does Maple Donkey do the other 50 weeks of the year? Like oh. we're talking about identity here, Steph. Like oh, when okay. Maple Donkey looks it's, in the mirror. <laughs> it's like calling you Sarah Triathlete. Exactly. Isn't it? Yes. I'm more than just a donkey, maple I'm donkey. More than maple donkey. I'm also he could be a rock donkey. I mean, he could be like carrying me donkey, like <laughs> donkey rides for the local children. Totally. Uh, he's oh no, a, he's a bit of a biter. <laughs> <laughs> we need that one in the bud pretty quickly. Yeah. I don't think so. Not kid friendly, maple yeah. donkey. <laughs> Oh wow! Okay, good old. Uh, All right, we'll keep you posted on the name. Yeah, I look yeah. To, well, yeah. I ha- we have years to determine. So True. yeah. Wait, <laughs> so you di- you didn't grow up with animals? No, no. Really? No. no. We oh, had a, not pets or just anything. a dog. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Uh oh. Yeah. I, exactly. So <laughs> I've always been a little obsessed with just critters in general. So I've gone through different, I went through different phases where I would just collect basically. So like (laughs) I would collect spiders for a while. (laughs) 
<laughs> really? Yeah, my 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 mom. I drive her insane. Where yeah, fair I just enough. Have, I'd have yeah. jars of spiders in my room. <laughs> oh my god! And then I had a, uh, and I was always rescuing animals. So I don't know if I was actually rescuing them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was when taking I'm... from this beautiful luscious tree and putting them in a jar. <laughs> oh my god! Like, you know, larger animals than that, shall we say? Like, so you were stealing neighborhood <laughs> pets? Is that well, what you're like, telling me? <laughs> it is. But like, you know, baby muskrat, something like that in a cardboard box, like a duckling that had lost its mom. You know, it, had it lost its mom or had it been <laughs> ripped away from its mother's warm wing? <laughs> We we had we had a little pool in our in our backyard and basically it was what falls in the pool. Oh my fair game. <laughs> okay, so it let's needs rephrase. To be rescued. You were trapping animals in your backyard pool. I was saving them. Yes. No, I yep. That's yeah, what Yeah. Yep. Um so that was that was a phase. Okay. Oh, so no no longer interested in spiders and critters? We do not have jars of spiders in my house. I think it's a very fair question. I'm learning a lot about you today. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then I went through this really big um, bird phase. Oh, God. I mean, Please don't tell me you put birds in jars. They don't like that. <laughs> I did not put birds in jars. Okay. Um, I did I don't even know. Should I say this? Yeah. So there was a period of time. I was a little older than I. I was very interested in taxidermy. Um, I didn't taxidermy anything myself. <laughs> <laughs> but imagine if you just came home one day with a big thick. Like, or your parents came home one day and all the cushions have been like all the fluffs been pulled out. Oh yeah. And they're like, oh oh. Yeah. No. So I I had a couple taxidermy birds. Um, wow. But just like so, actually in. When when I went to university, like I was obsessed with the natural history lab. So you had a lot of birds in jars and a lot of taxidermy oh. birds. So like that, there was also this is kind of weird. Um, There's a freezer full of birds, um, but I was I was it was fascinating to me. Like I spent a lot of time in there. What, but what about taxidermy is fascinating. This is not judge like yeah, a joke, no, no, but no, like a, what what was it? Ah. Uh, Good chat. Yeah. No. Well, let me think about it. It's well, it's really just how you preserve an animal to try to capture some of its essence. And there's some really weird taxidermy out there. So you, oh my gosh, people, people are gonna think I'm a real freak chef here. We're um, way past that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so. If you go to some museums, um, there's some really like historical attempts at taxidermy that are really fascinating. Where just absolutely misrepresents an animal's characteristics. Yeah, and right. just I think it says more about humans' relationship with the natural world than anything else. So you can actually kind of study it as you know, how it reflects on us rather than 
anything to do with the animal. It's it it's interesting to to kind of look into a person's psyche to decide how. I mean, it's really interesting. Like if you look historically at at taxidermy, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. There's some weird stuff out there. Well, yeah, like yeah. that automatically makes me think of weird people doing taxidermy who are dressing animals up in yeah but we're not yeah we're we're talking like natural history so that is fascinating in the 1800s just their assumptions about the natural worlds you know kind of becoming manifest in how they decided to position an animal or you know what they put in relation to so it's it really yeah i didn't i didn't study any of this stuff but like honestly if if you have the if you have any nobody has any interest what am i talking about let's just stop it right there (laughs) no but i've never thought about it like that before so i'm glad i asked the question yeah 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 Yeah. (laughs) no i am jokes aside more from the historical concept i mean yeah yeah, just how it how it fits into um just our assumptions about yeah nature yeah, yeah, it is interesting, and I'm not joking. Yeah. That is quite interesting. Yeah. I would never have thought about it like yeah. that before. Yeah. So thank you for You're teaching welcome. me that. Everybody else is like, you freak show, but thanks. Again, I'm pretty sure they shut off <laughs> half an hour ago. Um, now, I'm going to cast your mind back. I'm trying to remember the first time that I met you, um, and I think it was back at Ironman Australia, the year that you were inducted into the Ironman Australia Hall of Fame. To be honest, not one of my final weekends, (laughs) if I'm to be truly honest. And I'm sure a lot of people don't even realise, but I still think about that weekend and my father, my mum and dad Mm -hmm. who came down for the event, uh, still brings it up all the time every night when he needs to get me down to to street level again because (laughs) if I'm on my high horse, he's like, remember that time, Belinda? Yeah. Um, Amazing weekend and Shane Smith had a lot to do with that weekend and and getting me inducted into the Hall of Fame. And they put – my parents came down, my sister came down with her boyfriend. We got put up in amazing accommodation at Port Macquarie. I had a great night when I was inducted on the Friday night. And then the night before the race – so on the Saturday night, we had a few friends over for dinner in our great apartment and it was just supposed to be a very innocent barbecue because I was up the next day for – I was down there also to do some commentary on race day. So I knew I was in for a long day too. Anyway, so we had a few close friends. I think there was prob- there were probably about 15 of us over for a barbecue. Started innocently, as they all do. Mm-hmm. And I think at about midnight – maybe one-ish, I know there was, we, we couldn't buy alcohol anymore, um, we finally finished and it wasn't pretty and I'd made a promise to Christian Magnetta and his wife that I would meet them for a run at five in the, mimo- five in the morning before I would start my commentary duties. Normal standard behaviour, of course. Yeah, of course, yep. for an athlete, which yep. I was no longer. Uh, anyway, at that night anyway, um, I went to bed at, I have no idea, very, very drunk and... The alarm went off at 4.30 the next morning and I said, I'm going to be there. So anyway, I turned up to this run feeling like death warmed up, uh, made the run. Everyone, everyone was laughing at me. I'd lost my voice. No, I kid you not, I'd lost my voice. It was ridiculous. How's it even possible no, to be in the grave I without know. a voice? I hadn't even started commentating, for God's sake, and I'd lost my voice. <laughs> so everyone's laughing, thinking it was bloody funny. I didn't yeah. think it was so bloody funny because I had to spend the day commentating with no voice. So anyway, I went home after the run. 
hot lemon drinks, anything I could do, lozenges. I think I ate a whole packet of, of um, throat lozenges to yeah. get to go. Anyway, I got through the day, but still to this day, my dad reminds me and he's got a great, he goes, you went from the hall of fame to the hall of shame <laughs> in one night. Just keeping it real. And it was only like a year or two after that that weekend that I met a few age group athletes that were staying in the same apartments because obviously at Port Macquarie it sells out. So there were a lot of athletes yeah. um, staying in our apartment block and they're like, oh, yeah, we remember you. Yeah, you kept us awake till midnight before we raced. I have never felt – honestly, it was like a dagger to my heart because, you know, I, I remember yeah, you know, yeah. being an athlete, I would have been devastated. And oh I, I remember apologising to this person profusely for, for months later. Can't believe that was me. It's not me. I don't normally do that. I mean, I'm normally really, really good with that sort of thing. And yeah, needless to say, I've never done that again. If I'm going to have a party on the night before a race, I make sure I'm in a house a million miles from any athlete. <laughs> I would oh. like to put a call out. Uh, if there was anyone else in that hotel that night, uh, and you remembered, I'm sorry. Line. I'm really sorry. We'll it's not a, me. We'll get a written apology from Belinda Graham. You will absolutely. Wow. So, oh, oh, hang on a second. Uh, we just oh, oh dinner has been set. Just ex- let's be honest. The main reason I'm here, podcasters. <laughs> Podcast, you know, whatever, but this is the main reason. Oh my goodness! Hey, wait, hang on a second, Chef Brady. Come and come and tell the what is the this? You've got to tell what me what it is. Yeah. Um, well, over I, I think I know. Oh, you can edit this out, can you? No, no. <laughs> Why would we want to do that for? Jeez. Um, beef cheek. Oh my god. Cauliflower, potato puree, um, glazed carrots, roasted beetroot. <laughs> Made with love. Yeah. All I can say is get in my belly. <laughs> Go for it. Oh, and the so smells. Good. The smells. I think, I reckon we actually probably need to pause it so that you can enjoy. Well, you know me, I am renowned for being able to talk underwater, so I'm sure I could get through <laughs> this meal and still not miss a beat. Whether whether your listeners would want to hear me eating beef cheek yeah. and, and car- eating uh, chomping on carrots. Yeah. I really want you to enjoy it. He's gone to a special effort and I yes. reckon we might pause it. I reckon you're going to hoover that in about five or six minutes It won't take me long, anyway. sweetheart. I mean, I'm not an athlete anymore, but I still eat like I'm one. <laughs> oh, I don't know how many people know, but you are well into your – can I – is it flora and fauna that you're into or is it more fauna? It's more flora, I mean. It's sure fauna predominantly, but I'm just like a massive science geek. So if there's like factoids about natural history – or something, then I'll just like be totally into it. Remember, so it can be like about animals as well. But my background is a plant physiologist, so I just like know shit about plants. So I tend to an ecology and like forest ecosystems and stuff. So I tend to geek out especially hard on those kind of things. <laughs> what's your What's your favorite tree? <laughs> okay, so oh I have God. categories of favorite trees. <laughs> Pandora's box. <laughs> my favorite deciduous tree. My favorite deciduous tree is trembling Wait, aspen. Wait, what's a deciduous? Okay, a deciduous tree is a tree that loses its leaves in the fall. Okay, so it's like a pretty broad category of trees. They're like maples and broad, broadleaf trees. Then there are decidu- or excuse me, evergreen broadleaf trees. So you guys have a ton. You have the eucalyptus. So they don't yearly just drop all their leaves, right? They shed them frequently throughout the year, but they but they're they're evergreen broadleaf trees. Okay. 
So my favorite of those trees is the arbutus. I love that we're having this conversation. <laughs> yep, carry on. <laughs> and, and then there's coniferous trees, which there are also two types of those, which is amazing. In in Canada, we have this. It's a conifer. Okay, so it has cones and like needle trees. So like a oh, pine yes. tree is what people think of, like a Christmas yep. tree, which actually, which actually are usually spruce trees, not pine trees, but and those are two different trees. But anyway, um, but there are deciduous conifers. So there are the conifers that have the cones and the needles, but they shed their needles in the fall. And I'm surrounded by the best species of those. They're they're called western larch. And right now, so like picture these hills around the yep. house, but and like green, you know, like the but then interspersed are these like electric yellow, like pine looking trees. Those are Western large, but they shed their needles in the winter, <laughs> which is pretty cool. So those are my favorite uh, deciduous conifers. And my favorite evergreen conifers are ponderosa pine. <laughs> I understood three of those words. So I have technically four favorite trees. Okay. All right. I, I'm making notes. As we, I'm not making notes, but I can imagine. I can imagine you sitting there, and you can tell by the pitch in your your voice. It gets higher and higher as you and you, your voice. Um, it gets I mean, faster. I get yeah. 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 So, so when you say you're tomboy, do you think growing up, did you relate more to to boys when you were growing up, or? Yeah, and like literally being okay. So when you're a skinny little kid who is a foot taller than all of your peers, uh, everyone thinks you're a boy. <laughs> so like, seriously, my, like, and I still get mistaken. Like people, it's amazing. Actually, people don't look at you when you just walk into like up to a teller, for instance, they just like kind of glance up, get a sense of your height and go like, how can I help you, sir? Oh my gosh. And you're like, hi, I, I just want to get this Gatorade. I get it all the time. And when I was a kid, it was actually really tough. I was like, well, everyone thinks I'm a boy all the time. Um, yeah. And so that was kind of an interesting, like, difficult gender identity thing. I remember I was at the mall when I was a little kid, like in a dress, and I just got my ears pierced. And someone said, like, oh, is that your son? And I was like, what? <laughs> but there was just oh something, I think, about the way... I think just being tall and like, you know, flat chested and not curvy, you know, it was just like, I just, people just look real quick. They just sort of think like, oh, that's, that's a boy. Um, and so I don't know if that was part of it, but I was just never, you know, I never like dresses or things. I like being outside and, uh, yeah, that, that was just yeah. my jam. And it wasn't necessarily like not liking girls or anything it, it was just uh i just sort of related more got on tend to get on with with guys better yeah 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 it's so it's so interesting so i was pretty much exactly the same and i mean i'm still pretty tall um relatively speaking but i mean compared to you not quite as tall but i i got the exact same thing so many i think you're right people would just look at you briefly see a tall lanky person and think that it's a boy um and I was the same it caused me quite a few like generally it didn't I was just like whatever I don't give a shit but I think there was that deep down underlying um emotional turmoil about it I definitely for sure my yeah. time as, as a child and youth yeah definitely um and every now and then it happens to to me now because I do tend to wear active wear and hats and all that kind of stuff but it's it bothers me so much it, it sorry it doesn't bother me 
anywhere near as much anymore, particularly since having Frankie, um, because, and sorry to make this about me, but I find this whole conversation quite interesting. I dress her as a tomboy. I try not to dress her in pink because I don't like the colour, um, but also I'm I'm extremely stubborn and I refuse to just sort of, you know, go down the line, down the line of, of gender norms, whether it be pink or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and because she's, you know, Frankie could be a boy or a girl's name, so many people just assume she's a boy and that's fine. I do correct them, but it's amazing the response is that they get really um, apologetic and I was like, it's not like I'm not, we're not offended. She's, right, she's right. one. She doesn't even know what you're saying. And, you know, whatever. I dress her in a cap and everything, and that's what society's been telling you, that, you know, little boys wear hats and sneakers and, you know. So it's it's almost making me do it more just to try and stop those stereotypes. I don't know. Like in the grand scheme of things, one person won't make a difference, but if thousands and thousands of people are doing it, maybe it can start to make a bit of a difference in those stereotypes. I don't know. I've really overthought this. (laughs) No, it's it's a very interesting thing. And I see it like my sister-in-law, she's also tall like me um, and is really trying to be aware too with her kids about, because yeah, so much of like the societal gender norms, you know, and um, just trying not to sort of impose those things. But it's crazy how much they get subconsciously imposed no matter what, right? Like you see a, a, a little girl and it's all about like, oh, aren't you cute? And isn't that a nice outfit? And yes. And you see a guy and you're like, oh, hey, little buddy, like, you know, do you want to go play? And like, it's like, why? Like, but it's just we're used to interacting that way, you know? So I try so yeah. hard to not be like, okay, ask like, you know, what are you, what are you doing? Or what, like, are you, did you read a cool book or like something that's just not in these like gender categories, but it's yep. crazy how much is just Im- embedded in the, in our whole society. Like, oh yeah. Sure. And then as someone that's like grown up, like I remember so distinctly this memory of we were on vacation in Mexico and this guy was helping all of the people off the bus and, and he was like grabbing the women's hands and like helping them off and i was and this was all like seemed very fancy and nice and so i reached my hand out to get like help down off the bus steps and he like shakes it and says hello senor oh my god <laughs> and i remember just cr- i remember just crying like i was so my feelings were so hurt and 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 you know my parents were like uh you know <laughs> and just feeling like devastated about that that like yeah. But it's kind of interesting to um, have it matter that much, you know, and how that, yeah. how you identify as a kid, it shapes so much of, um, yeah, how you feel and, and, uh, and, and yet, and then as someone who mm. is like, and I'm pretty hypersensitive to like, you know, someone will see like, and like, oh, that dude. And I'm like, no, I think that's maybe a woman, you know, <laughs> like um, just trying to be aware of of that sort of thing. It is still amazing. Even with that, how like easy it is to fall into, to gender stereotypes for sure. Yeah, definitely. That went on a, um, an interesting tangent. <laughs> I got quite deep. <laughs> well, it's funny, even in triathlon, like I remember I was at Rev3 Quasi and I was winning the women's race, but the camera crew that was setting up to get the shots of the women's leader were setting up as I was going by every time because they didn't think I was a woman. They just thought I was one of the pro men doing oh my God. in the race. And so it's actually a pretty funny yeah, right. story. Like the guys that shot that race after they're like, Oh, sorry, we were missing you. And I was like, Yeah, I saw. Like every time I was at that corner, you were setting up trying to get the woman and I was going past. <laughs> and they're like, Would would you mind oh, wow. going back 
going back out and riding some sections of the course so we can get footage for this. Because they did actually a very good job of trying to put together a whole, you know, thing about the pro race or whatever, but they just didn't have any footage of me. Um. So, okay, so you touched on the on the fact of the, the kind of, I, I, I guess, values uh, that you grew up with um, in terms of being true to yourself, um, trying everything, not judging people. Is, is that something that you remember your parents sort of instilling in you from a very early age or is it something that you've, I guess, learnt as you've got a little bit older? Like where, where do you think that those kind of um, values originated from? Yeah, no, I think that that stuff definitely comes from when we grew up. And it probably was like small stuff when we were growing up. Like, for example, we grew up in a household where both my parents cooked and we traveled a lot and were exposed to a wide variety of foods and different things. And it was always like, even when you went to someone's house, you always had to try everything. Like we weren't eating the grilled cheese and quesadillas from the kids menu. We were eating what the adults were eating and you always had to try it. Um, Ah. and then, yeah, even, I mean, I guess just, we were raised from our parents were just, you know, to be welcoming to all walks of life, be open to others, be kind to others. So like on sort of a larger scale, I think that that's where that came from. But I think that the things that have bled over to like me as an athlete, such as always trying, not giving up. I mean, I think people definitely know me as like, I give it my all until the very end of the race, which is why I'm usually moving up through the race. But like those things <laughs> I didn't come to know as traits I had in myself until I was older. And now right. I look back, like my mom is extremely stubborn. And yeah. I realized that I got the stubborn trait from her. And with that stubborn trait is this never quit attitude and to always try and to always give your best. Um, and I also think, yeah. you know, my dad was sort of the athlete in the family. He played college basketball. Like he still plays basketball now and he's in his seventies, you know, like he was always kind of the jock and I, he, I think he was the one he did marathons. And I think he instilled the work ethic in us and the, um, He's kind of the comedian in the family. He's always in a good mood, always laughing. And I think that the positivity um, that I carry and the the never give up, that definitely comes from my dad. So it's kind of a good mix of both. But I didn't realize that those, like growing up, it wasn't like, you know, my dad sat there and said, like, always have fun, you know, try to enjoy yourself, give it your best. Like, I don't remember any of those things. But then now as I've been in my 30s, I look back and I'm like, oh, okay, like, my mom is just relentless. Uh, she's such a hard worker. Okay, like that's where I probably got that from. So, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's so, so interesting. And, you know, so I ask these kind of questions to, to, to so many people, not just on a podcast because I'm fascinated by, uh, you know, by people's upbringing and how it's made them the person they are today. And it sounds like you have really thought a lot about this is that um something that you've consciously done in the last few years or so like you really the way you answered it you you know exactly where you've got uh, a lot of your traits from and I don't think everyone um is like that yeah no I think that well 
particularly probably in the last couple of years, more thought has gone into it because as much as they're positive traits, they can also tend to be negative. And so I definitely have yeah. done some personal work. I'm not going to beat around the bush on that in the last couple of years. And with that work right. has come these, these epiphanies. But like even just yesterday, I was struggling with something completely not related to triathlon at all. And I was chatting to my sister about it. And she said to me, we like us is like growing up, like we were raised to like, always try to always give our best. So you just have to go try with this and like, give it your best. And she's like, what do you do in triathlon? Like you never give up. You're always trying you like, even when you fail, you come back, you try, try, try again. And she's like, so you need to apply that lesson from triathlon to this area of your life. That's completely unrelated. And I kind of had an aha moment and was like, yeah, that's actually right. a pretty good point. Right? Like, yeah, that's yeah. just what I do. So good advice from my sister. <laughs> yeah, uh, I do want to say one other thing too, which I don't even know if this was going to be brought up. I will say <laughs> in the light of um, everything that's come out with Alberto Salazar and Mary Kane and um, mm. coaching and the coach athlete relationship, I feel super fortunate that all three of the men that I've mentioned, Lance, Matt, and Jesse, I've had super healthy relationships with like, I've never oh. once felt that I've never once been told, you know, about my weight. I've never once been put in an uncomfortable position. Um, and, and that's positive and that's encouraging to me. And I just want other people to know if they're in a relation coach athlete relationship that like is not right. It doesn't have to be that way. And there's plenty of good coaches out there. That's my soapbox rant. <laughs> well, it wasn't a rant. It was a very positive thing. Yeah. A positive rant. Yeah. A prant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's, well, that is, first of all, unreal to hear that um, because, let's face it, the majority of coaches within the sport are male. Yeah. Um, and it's nice that you've hit the jackpot in that kind of coach-athlete relationship with three out of three of your coaches. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, you know. Um, but yeah on that it's it's an interesting i don't want to say interesting because that makes it sound like it's topical because it's it's an ever uh, like it's a conversation that needs to continue to happen i think that that's um, and- the whole point is that right there is i think the conversation isn't happening like i think a lot of yes. these issues just aren't even talked about and they need to start being talked about, which is why I was like, I'm just going to interrupt you and bring this up as like a, when yeah. we were, when we, when I was talking about my three coaches, it came to me like, yeah, this like actually correlates a lot to that, uh, the Mary Kane, Alberto Salazar, um, and all the stuff that's come out of that. So we're doing the right thing, just talking yeah. about it right here. So sorry to interrupt, but <laughs> no, it's not interrupting because I want to actually continue talking about it. Um, you know, if you don't mind in some kind of form, because I love it when people actually even just bring it up. Um, and so th- what, what I wanted to go on and sort of say that, you know, um, the Mary's, uh, you obviously watched her video clip where she basically announced what had been happening. Um, such a young voice to be talking about it. Yes. Um, and yeah, and so like we were talking about just a bit, a bit earlier that you as a person, like you've gotten to know who you are as a person, as a woman, at such a young age to be able to speak up um, 
I, anyone who, who feels confident to speak up or eventually finds the confidence to speak up is amazing, but especially at such a young age uh, because I have seen things, heard things within our industry that we always sort of promote and talk about being this amazing, wonderful thing. But let's face it, these kind of things are happening in our very own sport. Um, and I feel like the younger women really struggle because they don't know who they are. They um, don't have the confidence to speak up against uh, things that you know, they at that point in time, they may not even know is wrong. Yeah. No, and I don't, I think if I was in a situation that Mary Kane was in with my first coach, like if Lance had been doing stuff mm. that was not correct or whatever, I wouldn't have had the voice to speak. I wouldn't have known. I would have just done whatever yeah. I was told and been along for the ride. And that's like, it's something that I've had to work really, really hard at is getting that confidence. And I like, I've talked about it before with close friends like Heather or, or Chris or people in my inner circle mm -hmm. of like, I wasn't born with the confidence gene. I, I look at some people and I'm yeah. like, that person came out of the womb and they are confident. I, it's something I've had to work at and still work at. Like I have to journal daily and work at it. It's not, it doesn't to me come easy. So yeah, I don't know. I, right. if, if bad things were happening to me when I was in my early twenties, even early thirties, I don't know if I would have had the ability to speak up to that coaching type figure and say, I'm not comfortable with this, or this isn't correct. And like, I alluded to that when I said that, like, I would be given a workout of ride the trainer for four hours at 200 Watts. And it was like, okay, whatever you say, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I mean, who yeah. knows what I would have done if, I mean, I, I think I was raised to know the difference between right and wrong. And if someone said you need to do these drugs, I probably would have said no, but like, that's, that's, yeah. Not at 20, like who has that voice to do that? Oh, absolutely. And I think exactly what you said um, is that people like us talking about these kind of things on this platform is a way that we can make a difference. We might not see mm -hmm. it, but someone out there might might hear it um, and give them the confidence to be able to to speak up. You're 26, right? Uh, 25 now, 26 in September this year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're almost like you're still sort of growing up and finding out who you are outside of just being yeah. a triathlete. You know what I mean? Not just being a yeah. triathlete, just being a, <laughs> you know, challenge off champion, whatever, fourth fastest time ever. Third fastest woman ever, fourth fastest time here. Chrissy's got you twice and yeah, Danielle. Chrissy's yeah, Chrissy's done it twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but do you feel like like this this sport almost is shaping you as as a human as you, as you're growing up yeah 100 percent. i mean obviously so me and reese have been together roughly eight years and he would say like the person obviously deep down the person he met is still me mm -hmm. but the amount i have changed and probably he has as well in that time the amount we've changed in those years in what we've done it's definitely molded us to be a slightly different person i would guess like even in the swim squad, yeah, I'd have a bit of a laugh. But if I was having a conversation with the coach, it would be pretty much me saying nothing and listening. Whereas now I feel like I could actually say, well, no, but why am I doing that? And can I change this to this? So I feel like 
I guess I've I've obviously got a lot more knowledge about what I should be doing in terms of training, but I feel like I'm able to kind of maybe defend myself a little bit more. And triathlons taught me that as well, that if you don't stick up for yourself, you're just going to get walked all over by everyone. So you have yeah. to be, well, no, I'm not doing that, or I'm going to do it this way or, or however. So yeah, I've definitely grown up pretty quickly as a 25 year old, I think maybe yeah. I maybe come across a bit older than that um, in terms of how I react with people and, and what I do. I definitely forget that you're 25. <laughs> yeah, you're, st- you're still a baby, which is why I had to ask you about, wait, do you understand my references? When I, talk about- <laughs> I talk a lot about Seinfeld in a lot of my references, but I'm not sure if you even... Nah, no. <laughs> You've never watched an episode of Seinfeld? No. Never? No. Well, you'd be all br- British comedies, right? Yeah. So if I started quoting The Office or... Yeah, I've seen a small amount of that, but yeah, not... What do you mean? Yeah, not a huge amount. <laughs> so Faulty Towers would be completely off your radar. I know what it is, but I've oh never Oh my God, it, James. Yeah. <laughs> what are we teaching this these young people? Nothing. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm 25 as well. <laughs> <laughs> a funny story as well, because... When I finished my first Ironman, sorry to go back to triathlon, <laughs> I, I got the Ironman tattoo because I was like, I might never do another one. So You're one of those people. Yeah, so I have, Own it. I have the tattoo. Um, might be one, one of the only pros with the tattoo. But um, got the tattoo and then I think my sister went off to uni and she was like, well, tattoos are okay. Mum and dad didn't freak out. So then she like has collected more and more and more. And mum and dad can't say anything because they didn't tell me off when I got one. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. And they're all different, like super cool. But yeah, yeah, right. She's very cool. So she's more of the creative one. You're, you're not so creative? Um, I mean, I still did an A-level in photography. That was... Oh, I, did you? I had, yeah, I had... I, I was definitely creative as well, but I kind of just had to get put to the back seat so I yeah. could do my sports stuff. But... I do really enjoy photography and, and that kind of thing. So Yeah, right. Yeah. So do you do you still dabble a little bit in it when you've got three seconds spare? I, know, I think I'm normally obviously James Mitchell's behind the camera lens for me, but I think <laughs> I'm always like, Oh James, that would be a really cool shot. Should we try this? So I kind of have yeah. a little bit of my creative input in there when I can, but obviously James is super talented anyway, so he's he all right. He doesn't really need my input, but no, yeah. I think that makes us quite a good little team on that side of things. Yeah, definitely. Because the whole creative thing, I actually, I did an interview with Rachel McBride earlier today and we are talking about music because she plays the cello. Oh, wow. Yeah. And for me personally, I used to play the drums and saxophone and I just don't have, or I don't make time to do that because we're all busy. But it's something that I really miss is that creative side of things. Yeah. So, yeah, like obviously when you're professional triathletes, it's swim, bike, run, eat, sleep day in and day out but yeah. so do you miss that side of things yeah definitely I used to love I used to love actually taking all my photos and then like printing them out and sticking them all in my little art book thing and having them all there and being able to look back on them so I I definitely do miss that and even I think my sister has my old camera now but I used to yeah. just always have it in the car in case I thought yeah, right. oh, that's a cool shot I'm gonna get that so um yeah, I think I wouldn't mind owning a good camera again and just being able to do that as a bit of a hobby on the side. Yeah, right. Very interesting. But no musical instruments? 
Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Musically talented, zero. Dance skills, zero. zero. Okay. Singing, no. Right, really brilliant. terrible. Drunk. Reese has some great videos of me on one of our first dates. We went to um, one of the early Ed Sheeran concerts in a really small, um, I think it was like Brixton Academy in London. It was like a really small little really like knit little um gig and i was quite drunk singing to his songs and of course Brilliant. he filmed it all so and he still has these and he like every now and again he'll bring it up and be playing it and i'm like oh my god get that off why have you still got that so um i cannot sing <laughs> luckily that didn't scare him away on yeah. one of our first dates but yeah if i've had a few to drink then you'll probably get me on a karaoke and it will just be gold so uh yeah good to know <laughs> i'm hoping that you get stuck more into that beer so we get you singing yeah. on, on the podcast Tonight, now yeah. yeah yeah um so i went to ed sheeran in london a few years ago oh, wow. so i had no idea that it's it's all him even not in a big stage performance because we were what's the big um probably like the o2 maybe yeah, or, yeah. Wembley or one of those yeah o2 i think it was yeah. so massive stage yeah i had no idea it was all it's like he's busking but to a Oh, yeah. It's incredible. So good. Yeah. Yeah, right. So first date with Reese, you sang karaoke drunk and he kept you. Yeah. That's sweet. (laughs) My mum used to own a pub that had karaoke Friday, Saturday nights. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. One guy, this, anyway, uh, he'd come in from, because he used to get like uh, Navy ships and stuff into um, Hobart in Tasmania. And he sang to me, you've lost that loving feeling. Like, you know, yeah. from, oh, actually, you're pretty young. You know the movie Top Gun? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they sing, you've lost that loving yeah. feeling to her. Yeah. That's what he tried to do to me. It didn't work. Oh, shame. Yeah. I shut him, <laughs> I shut him down. Shut him down. We're so different, Aaron and I. Like, he, he, every day he's like, could you not say thank you a thousand times? You told that waitress <laughs> thank you nine times. I'm like, Aaron, I love you, but would you rather me just be a raging, you know what, talking? Yeah. To, no, that's just not my jam. And sometimes it is a nervous tick. Like my friends go, Meredith, you always say, sorry, thank you. Sorry, thank you. I, I do have that tendency. He is like such so serious. Like he'll, of course, he's gracious. He'll be like, yeah. thank you. But it's like one time. And then, yeah. You know, and so um, <laughs> we're very different and just our approach to oh, like I'm the awesome optimist he's more the pessimist not that he's pessimistic person but like we have that like kind of thing or he um i can talk a mile a minute and i said this at our wedding is aaron's not the life of the party ever but he's the life of my party like he's so funny and what he says is like meaningful and people listen but even if it's not as much you know yeah though you do get a little more than a few beers in him and then i can't get him to shut up like you're talking a lot dude and you're interrupting shh (laughs) (laughs) it's so similar to brett Mm -hmm. and i Mm -hmm. although really brett will never talk too much like he will never get to a point i think where he talked too much so funny but it is it he's so so similar Mm -hmm. and when you said about the excitement level or the disappointment level is Mm -hmm. same same even kill Mm -hmm. we were having a conversation this is a years ago Mm -hmm. because i I would love him to run his own restaurant Mm -hmm. but i know there's a lot that comes with that but i just think he's that talented um as a chef and you believe in him absolutely And similar, I'm yep. the optimistic, like, dreamer. Cheerleader. Ooh, like, yeah. you'd be great, honey, do totally. it. Totally. Yeah. And he just go, and similar mm-hmm. to what you said, 
he's not a pessimist, but he right. can be pessimistic. Right. And he'll just go straight to the, but it's this, yes, this, yes, isn't it? And I'm yes. like, we just wait. We. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And one day my mate said to me, we're talking about this restaurant. Mm-hmm. What do you, you know, mm-hmm. inf- give me five words that describes mm-hmm. how you feel about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if So if I said to you, give me five words that describes how you felt about uh, your first win here. Mm-hmm. What, how would you answer that? Oh, you'd say like elated, over the moon, yep. enriched, excited, <laughs> flabbergasted. Correct. Mm-hmm. This is Brett. So h- how do you feel about this restaurant idea, Brett? I feel good about it. Five words. I was <laughs> just going to say, it was a good day. Yeah. <laughs> so sums, matter of fact. It yeah, yeah. sums him up perfectly. So I just laugh when I hear you talking about Aaron and, yeah. you know, a lot of that. Um but it's it's funny how, you know, they do say opposites attract. Right, and, it's but, true. But it, it, it works. And it it's works. Like, kind of like those puzzle pieces all right. just slotting in together. And we have our right. strengths and weaknesses that seem right. to reflect each other and bounce off each other well. Right. But of yeah. course, I mean, there's th- there is that. And then there's some times where you're like, I don't know if you do, but it's not that I get mad is the wrong word. It's more like perplexed. I'll be like, dude. Can you show me some form of excitement? D- totally. Not that you get like, I don't want to say frustrated or if like say things, <laughs> right? In a relationship, like, you know, things just add up and then, you know, Mac or Fr- Mac or Frankie are crying and everything's like just been off like for a long time. And then there's no excitement level and something you want them to be excited about. <laughs> you're like at your like wits end. Yep. And you're just like, why are you more excited? You know, <laughs> I mean, we'd be crazy to think like. I mean, I'm sorry. Every couple has to have little <laughs> things. Little. I love Aaron to the moon and back. I still get butterflies when I yeah. see him. But at the same time, I'm like, and he would say the same about me, yeah. though he would never tell me. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. Like I, sometimes I want him to get mad at me. Like, oh aren't you God, annoyed that I did that? That's so annoying. I'm tapping my foot on the table hundred times. The only time he's annoyed at me is it's like, he, and he's not mean about it. Is you just said ten sorries. <laughs> Oh Does Brett God. do that for you? Or like... Oh, I'm constantly trying to find ways to make him bite. And <laughs> I can't. Like, I'm constantly trying to make him think about it. Right. Oh, but yeah. Now I understand. You can leave the kid. Like, now you can't even fathom. I can't fathom. The longest I'm away from Mac is when I was racing yesterday. Yeah. Like, yeah. literally. And I have this privilege of being able to have him on the course. Like, I could, I know myself. And, and like you, I could never go to work and not have him there. And yeah. there's so many people, because um, I remember in my first race back was Ironman Texas. He had just turned five months. And I was sobbing for the race. Like, how am I going to leave him for nine hours? And I yeah. was like, Meredith, snap out of it. People do this every day. They drop their kids off somewhere, yeah. um, understandably, or with a parent, a family member, and they go to work for eight, 10, 12, whatever, however many hours your kid gets to be at your business meeting like literally yeah. you can i know you can't literally spend time with him whilst you're working but you can see him out there yeah i also had a whole other dynamic because i was worried about how he was going to eat because he wasn't he was only taking a bottle da, yeah. da, and that's when hillary biscay ended up nursing him whilst i was racing i know because i was so worried he, he was not the, the story on that is yeah i want to talk about the it. he wasn't having any he would only have, he would only nurse. He wouldn't take a bottle. Yeah. And 
he wasn't on solid foods yet. He was just turned five months. I, we were traveling so much because I had raced Texas, St. George, Chattanooga, Raleigh, and I said, once we get home from Raleigh, he'll be about six months, we'll start feeding him solids. Perfect. Yeah. I didn't want to give him solids while we were traveling because what if he pooed all over the plane? Like there's so yeah. many like little <laughs> things, right? <laughs> but when he had just turned five months and I was racing Texas, I was like, my hurt, my like sadness came from, oh my gosh, is he going to be crying all day because Aaron can't get him to take a bottle. I couldn't get him to take a bottle, yeah. right? So I even bought eyedroppers so Aaron could like take the milk. I remember I wasn't even pumping. I pumped that day. That's like the only time I pumped because my kid wouldn't take a bottle. So, and I'm an athlete. I don't know if my milk production was up or down, but I nursed the kid for 13 months. So he was yeah. fine. But I was worried, like, how is he going to get his nutrition? And Hillary actually put me at ease. She had a two-month-old at the time. And she was like, Mare, I'm going to be there. Worst comes to worst, I nurse him. And me, I was like, wait, only the mother can nurse the child. I honestly, you would think I would get the memo. I didn't realize there's a whole thing called wet nurses, that nur which is amazing. Dude, I had no idea. I had no idea. I didn't yeah. know someone else it's breast milk, so it doesn't matter. I, I yeah. didn't know that. I thought only your child could have your milk. No, I, I thought know. that too. Yeah. Until I pretty much saw your post and I was like, wait, hang on, what? Right, right. Yeah. And I, it's funny because that's so funny. So, so good. So I'm not as, I, I thought, nah. am I really ignorant? And I felt it because I was like, I didn't know. I just didn't know. First time mom, I don't know. Um, but, but, sorry yeah. to interrupt. No, 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 no. I also think... And I think it's incredible mm -hmm, what mm -hmm, you guys mm -hmm, did. Mm -hmm. But just getting my head around someone else doing it. Because it's so intimate. 100%. So intimate. 100%. Because, like, I honestly would mm -hmm. struggle with even, like, my best friend in the world. I would totally. struggle. No, it's totally because, well, there were two things and this all happened at mile 14 of an <laughs> Ironman. That seven-second video you saw of yeah. Hillary. And obviously, because it's Hillary and I know her so well, like, yeah. I know where her nipple is. I know she's clean. <laughs> like, you see, I'm not trying to be gross, but, like, I know no. she's not this random person yeah. just sticking her nipple in my son's mouth. <laughs> but what was so crazy in that moment, it, I was giggling internally, but, like, the, obviously the amount of, of relief I felt in that, like, seven seconds she told me that Mac was fine. So she, yeah, she, she goes, I just fed your baby. All's good. And in my head, I was like... That little, that little guy took her nipple and won't take a bottle. She took a <laughs> random, not that it's, it's just random to him. Totally. He's never had, like, did her nipple, right? Yeah. He's had mine at that time for five months. So he'll take a nipple and I can't t get him to take one of seven bottles that I yeah. bought to try. It was just amazing. So there was a lot of relief in my first, first was relief and second was, oh my gosh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to think about it. It just is. And then yeah. it all worked out. And then I remember actually I got drug tested after the race and USADA wouldn't let me in to nurse, like, wouldn't let him in with me to nurse. And to their credit, I had St. George a week later and they apologized for that because oh, I'm good. going through the finish line literally at St. George, you know, my boobs in races and a half even grew from like a size B to a size D over the yeah. four hours. And an Ironman, it was insane. Yeah. A, they hurt. B, they're full of milk. C, they're sugar-filled milk. And because my kid won't take a bottle, he's getting all the gels that I've just, yeah. 
you know, eaten, eaten, and everyone's like, oh, you should pump before, and I almost did, but I was like, what if it's not enough milk? And it was fine. He just, yeah. he drank the sugared milk. He might have been a little crazy the night of a race, probably from inhaling all that sugar, <laughs> but it was fine. But, um, but yeah, they did apologize later, and like, Meredith, we're sorry we didn't let, like, what is my kid going to do, right, in the drug testing room? Yeah. Is he going to, like... Is a little five-month-old gonna put something in my urine? No, yeah. he's just in there nursing, and and it actually and is a got big. And someone watching you as well, right? The whole time. Someone just like yesterday, someone yeah. chaperoning. You can't so, go anywhere without someone right there. It's actually illegal, to be honest. You have you can't with with. I'm just not a squeaky wheel in this. Like at the time, I was just done an Ironman. I just want to pee and get the heck out of there. Yeah, but. They got, it's kind of like they got a good person to do that too. And I mean that in that I was like, oh, it's okay. And that was mainly because Hillary had just nursed him twice. Yeah. And um, But I, the other half of me was like, I could have been, I could have like yeah. really been upset and caused an issue. But at the time I was just so happy to be done <laughs> with yeah. an Ironman with a five, like at that point I had other worries. I was like, oh, my pelvic floor hung in. Like I have told you before, <laughs> yeah. I thought, you know, my C-section scar was going to like bust open during that run. I just wasn't yeah. sure what was going to happen. So made it work, peed, got out of there yeah. and got to Mac. It was all yeah. good. But um, and t like I said, to Yasada's credit, St. George the following weekend, they when I went through the line to go to drug testing, they're like, we're so sorry. You can bring Mac. All's good. You can nurse him wherever. Take your time. We're so sorry that happened last weekend, and I appreciated that. Yeah, it wasn't like an unspoken word, you know. Yeah, that's well. So yeah. that was appreciated. Yeah, uh, yeah. but unfortunately, uh, during a training ride, you were in an accident. So yes, yeah. I mean, a pretty horrific accident in that there's a lot that you can't remember. I remember reading through your Instagram post and. Even the um, the ride to the hospital, you don't remember, or no. you're going in and out of uh, consciousness and, and whatnot. Can, mm -hmm. The bits that you can remember, can you fill us in on, on what actually happened? Yeah, I mean, so you pretty much nailed it. I don't remember what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I said this in, I, I said this before, but I'm glad I don't remember because I don't, like, yeah. I, I don't know if you've crashed a bike before. I This was my first time crashing on my bike, but I've always been afraid of experiencing a crash because it looks super painful and I didn't want to be laying on the cement, like crying, screaming with broken bones, bleeding everywhere. But, and maybe I was, but I don't know. I don't remember it. So yeah. Right. Um, anyway. Yeah. I mean, I hardly remember even riding my bike up the Canyon. I was riding up in Mill Creek Canyon here in Salt Lake. Yeah. Uh, with my training partner, Elf, a fellow Hills district. A squad member um who went to Kona yeah and yeah she started descending before me and then you know I I put on some arm warmers and started descending and it wasn't I think it was like a k into the descent and I just I crashed somehow and I don't know what happened I don't have any memory of anything like no memory I remember I remember starting the descent but I don't even like it's so weird because I've never experienced this before, but I just have no memory of anything. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the two things, I guess the two kind of brief memories I have before I got to the hospital, um, this wonderful man named Mark picked me up off the side of the road and 
he said I had sat up. So he knew like, okay, probably not paralyzed. Um, mm. And up this canyon, I mean, I was at the very top and there's no cell phone service because we're like oh. in this crack of a mountain, you know, like, yeah. so he's like, okay, I either leave her here and drive 20 minutes and get an ambulance. And then the ambulance has to drive up 20 minutes or I take her to the hospital and get her there as quickly as possible. What, what a so, phenomenal amount of uh, different ideas going through his head at know, that time. I Imagine know. being having to make that decision. I know. Yeah. I know. I'm, I mean, what an angel. Like, yeah. I'm so grateful that he's the one who found me and um, not that I had any say in it, of course, but like, yeah. wow, what what timing for him to be there. He had just finished hiking and yeah. So I had sat up and he said, I, I was kind of trying to wave my arm. Um, and he got to me and I asked him, I said, where am I? And so he said, okay, she hit her head hard. Yeah. Um, and again, I don't remember any of this, but yeah. he, he came over and, you know, told me his side of the story. So yeah. anyway, um, yeah, assess the situation, loaded me into his truck and we drove down and I guess I just kept asking him if this was real life because wow. I um, I didn't want it to be real life, that's for sure, because I knew I had Kona in two and a half weeks. <laughs> so he said literally 40 times I probably asked him, is this real life? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and then I one of my memories is coming to terms with that. Like I have a memory of seeing him looking at me and saying, yes, Sky, this is real life. You crashed your bike but you're going to be okay. I'm taking you to the hospital. And, and then I have memory of seeing like sunlight coming through the trees. Cause there's just trees everywhere up this Canyon. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of it. Um, and then I have a very, very brief memory of seeing else, my training partner on the side of the road. Cause she stopped obviously and was like, Oh no, we're sky. Yeah. Um, she's at the bottom. I, she's at the bottom. Yeah. yeah. Um, and usually I would catch her, by the bottom or before the bottom because yeah. I'm a skilled descender. I ride yeah. these mountains all the time. For yeah. 10 years, I've been riding them. Of course. Um, anyway, so I just have a brief memory of seeing her on the side of the road and we picked her up. And then fortunately, this is all really close to my house too, like literally minutes from my house. Wow. We drove past my, probably almost drove past my house to get to the hospital. The hospital is just down the street for me. So yeah, he drove me um, straight to the ER and then, yeah, even the ER is really, really blurry. Um, I remember Else called Cam, our coach, and I just cried to him. I was like, Cam, I'm in such good shape. And he said, yes, you are. Oh, <laughs> God. You don't, you don't have to worry about any of that now. You just have to get better. Um, yeah, it was – It was. I I mean, I feel like it's taken me week. It took me weeks to, like, realize, oh, yeah, this is real. Like, I'm messed up and I'm so yeah. injured. And I'm not going to Kona and I have to rehab. And yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's so yeah. crazy how fast things change. So yeah, I had to sit out Kona. Um, that was devastating, but I'm alive. I'm not paralyzed. I can yeah. get back to normal. I mean, there's so many um, positives that I just have to remind myself of. So uh, I think it's fair to say that you've probably had the roller coaster career with the biggest ups and downs and curveballs and 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 whatnot do you, it, do you think that's a fair sort of summation I think so in terms of like the trajectory of my career like it started mm. at a really big high when I was quite young and yeah 
then faced a bunch of struggles and have had to kind of um, re- rebuild myself, uh, so to speak, in terms mm. of like performance and just making this a sustainable career now that I'm 30. So yeah, it's yeah. been a little bit backwards and um, a lot of people are surprised that I'm still even doing it. Like um, people yeah. in Edmonton who followed my career when I was going to the Olympics and ranked number one in the world and they hear that I just won a half Ironman and they're like, what? She's still doing triathlon? That's crazy. So yeah. it's such a long time that I've been in this and without break. And although it looks like I took a big break in the middle or didn't race or whatever, I've been trying all along to get back to having good performances. So yeah, yeah very, very roller coaster type career, I'd say. <laughs> Do, so remind me how old you were when you, uh, I guess, burst onto the scene. I think I was 20 years old when I won my first WTS race. That was in yeah. um, 2010. Yeah. So, so so at 20 years of age, you've – like I, I almost compare it to, you know, like a, a, a child actor who all of a sudden has uh, all this attention on them, all this, I guess, expectation and hopes of your country, you know, going into the Olympics and everything. So there's all this um, – and correct me if I'm wrong – but all this pressure on on such a a young person uh, who hasn't fully grown into themselves as as a human being yet, um, mm-hmm. and we saw you struggle with you know injuries or whatnot after that. Um, as a thirty year old now, which is still you know you're not over the hill, like it's still pretty young. Mm-hmm. But do you feel like you've you've learnt so much about yourself that and and, and some of those things that you have learned about yourself, you wish you knew when you were 20s to be able to handle that, even like, and I'm talking about the highs as well as the lows. Yeah, I actually gave a keynote talk at my swim, my old swim club in Edmonton a couple of months ago and talking to a room full of 16-year-old kids who are kind of at the beginning of when they're going to start qualifying for Olympic trials and things like that. And part of yeah. my message to them was, what are five things that I wish I had known when I was your age? And that's kind of when I was bursting onto the scenes. And now as a 30 year old, looking back, what would I have done differently? And my main message would think was um, knowing when to step back and take a break. And that was something I wasn't very good at. And when an injury did come on, I would push through it. And to the point where I had, like I was forced to stop instead of just kind of backing off when things started to get, bad or felt an injury coming on and so I think it just ultimately prolonged all of the injuries that I that I did have especially around the time of the London Olympics um, I was just yeah. scared too scared to take a break and um, felt like I was invincible a little bit because I had just come off this streak of winning a bunch of races so um, yeah. that's like the main thing sort of that I've taken into my career now is I, I'm not scared to take a day off running if I need to and ultimately that'll lead to less missed days of training and less missed races. Um, obviously it's still hard to adjust things. I just want to keep training hard every day, but, um, I've rec- I know my body is pretty injury prone and fragile and, um, I just kind of adapt my training with that in mind. So that's yeah. the biggest lesson I think. Uh, what was going to, Oh, so Ruby, are you teaching her different languages or? Yeah. 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 So when I'm, alone with ruby i talk to her czech wow and then when daddy comes back home we speak english okay so i think it's pretty cool yeah and i really like she's not talking it but 
her first word was Tata, which is in Czech, Daddy. Oh, so, that's you know, so cute. It's, yeah, it's cute. And um, she understands when I tell her, like, um, Rubinko Pozadu, like, backwards, go backwards of, like, a sofa or something. Yeah. She understands that in Czech. And when Brad tells her backwards, she understands as well. Or, like, bring this. So she understands in both languages that. Which it's is just which is amazing. Cool. It's amazing. Like, you would think, oh, in this age, whatever... Yeah. But no, she already understands. So now I know when we go to Europe and she will meet my two little, um, her two little cousins from my sister. Yeah. They can, they can play in Czech. Yeah. Talk and everything. So, so, it's so really amazing. good. Yeah. It's incredible. But they say that this is, you've got to teach them as young as possible. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. nat- just becomes natural to them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So cool. Yeah. But I mean, my mom thinks I'm confusing her when I switch languages. So she sees me talking English to like bread or in front of her English but yeah she reckons I should talk only Czech which I feel it's weird like bread is sitting here with having yeah. dinner with us and I talk to her like tak co jak se máš co tatínek a dáš si mrkvičku no I won't do that <laughs> <laughs> he would feel pretty weird I think. what did you just say then uh how are you how was daddy do you want some carrot <laughs> <laughs> I just made it up of course <laughs> Yeah, this is what I just said. Yeah. But I've heard that um, I think it was uh, Emma, or I don't think, I know, it was Emma Fredino who yeah. was saying that with Luca, because mm-hmm. they'll speak German and English oh, with yeah, him, he could have a conversation, but he would flow in and out of the two different languages. So it would just be... A mix? Yeah, oh. a mix of both. And oh. I so, I mean, I'm no expert or anything, but I remember her telling me it. That they understand it so well, but they possibly at a young age don't understand the difference yeah, between the, the two. Thing. But that's what I'm afraid of. But I don't think that's a bad thing. They'll they'll eventually know find the difference. Well, let's difference. let's hope. Otherwise, Brad will be hanging out with Ruby, and he will not know what she's telling him. <laughs> she will understand half Dad, of what she's saying. Why are you not going there? I told you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you guys uh, will figure it out. Yeah, figure yeah. Figure it all out. Yeah. You seem to be doing a pretty good job so far. She's a very happy little lady. Yeah, she is. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys are loving it, obviously. Yeah, we do. But yeah. when people ask us when's the second coming, we oh, are like, let's let's focus on Ruby first. <laughs> it's full on. I completely understand. Yeah. Yeah. A second I child. Love it, but I know. Yeah. yeah. Full on. It's full on. But even, um, and I'll compare us because i guess we travel a lot for work Mm -hmm. you obviously racing and me taking photos of you racing yeah (laughs) um traveling with one kid it's not easy but it's manageable but traveling with two kids and then having to do what you need to do is that's a whole new level i think if i have if we have a second baby i would have to retire i think oh yeah yeah. Or I will have to be not a good mom <laughs> to like get yeah, a, okay. you know, put her in a daycare for every day or something. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Otherwise, I think I wouldn't be happy and the babies wouldn't be happy because yeah. I, if I don't spend quality time with Ruby, I don't feel happy. And yeah. you can tell, like if, if I have a, even tomorrow I did a race and I still want to have a, f- a good feeling that she had it fun, so we'll probably go for swim or the, or the giant wheel or something. Yeah. Otherwise, I would feel like it was her wasted time, but yeah. it won't be because she will have fun cheering and, and running around. So it just have to like in my head, I have to have a feeling that 
she had a good day as well. Yeah, she hasn't just been carted around everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Just, just so like, oh, work. yeah. I would hate that to think later that she kind of like suffered me being an yeah. athlete, but which is definitely not because she loves all that traveling and she loves meeting people. So. Uh, Absolutely. It's, She's a very friendly little kid, very yeah, happy to yeah. chat to others. That's yeah. right, yeah. yeah. You're obviously a very competitive person. Where do you think that comes from? <laughs> My Into- family. <laughs> I, I figured. Yeah. Although I'm a very competitive person and no one else in my okay. family is. So I don't know. I'm like the black sheep of the family. Yeah. Anyway, in your family, mm-hmm. mum, dad? Uh, they're both very competitive. Really? In different ways. Um, so Ooh. I would say like they're not... Uh, they're not sporty, they're active, but they're not like sporty, but okay. they're like mum goes out of her way to cheat at games so that she can win. Stop it. <laughs> I love that you've just thrown her under the bus. She like, like, and she'll do it blatantly and then deny all knowledge um, and blame on my dad, <laughs> <laughs> which is always funny. Um, that's a, that's a sign of a great marriage there. Yeah, do, uh, do you think they will listen to this podcast? Uh, probably if I send it to them, <laughs> I'm gonna find. Otherwise, it. not because like they're like they're not really into triathlon. Um, That's other right. Than, like supporting me, but yeah, okay. Uh, and yeah, and Dad's just kind of. I think he's just competitive in a more like a kind of ambitious way rather than like strictly competitive. Um, and then I'm one of four, so yeah, that obviously makes for us all being quite competitive. Yeah. Um, again, from anything like. We often go, so like again, we're all quite sporty, um, and we'll go and do, uh, if we're all at home for Christmas, which is a rarity now that we're all grown up, um, yeah. but if we are, like, we'll go on like a Christmas morning run, and there's like a little loop <laughs> from my parents' house. They're up in the Lake District, so it's very lovely, um, and they've got this nice little hill, it's basically like a sort of 30, 40 minute loop, um, and it'll basically just be a race, and it'll be a... On Christmas morning. On Christmas morning. Brilliant. <laughs> um... So yeah, like it's it's always been quite like we're all quite competitive, and I think uh, we all help kind of spur each other on a little bit. Um, like it's fun, but it's good. Yeah. Where where do you fit in the line of siblings? Guess. Oh. <laughs> um, oh, that's a hard yeah. one. <laughs> Wait, brothers or sisters? I've got two brothers and sister. Like that was going to help I me. <laughs> I feel like I want to say that you're the baby, but oh, you're not giving me anything. No, <laughs> making you guess. Second youngest. Yeah. Ah. On. <laughs> Classic middle child. Yes, yeah, I'm a middle child too. I, I felt I sensed something. The middle child vibes. Yeah, I could. I could sense it. Anyway, yeah. Rachel McBride. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> also known as Purple Tiger. Yeah. Uh, let's start there. Okay. Why Purple Tiger? Um, so the story behind the Purple Tiger is, uh, it's actually been really fun here in Germany because I can tell the story in German and it makes a lot more sense because it started in Berlin when I was living there in, at the end of high school and, uh, I had my hair dyed and like, it was like almost totally shaved with a bit of a mohawk and it was dyed in like tiger stripes on the side. 
And I was walking past a little kid and his mom on the subway platform. And he said, which is like, look, mummy, a, ta- a tiger lady in like little kid speak. And <laughs> so like, tiger lady. And, uh, but they use like in, in German, they use the word auntie as like, instead of like for kids, we'll say, we'll call like a strange woman an auntie instead of like a lady as like a more uh, whatever cute little yeah respectful way i guess of talking to somebody and so my i was with my girlfriend at the time and she thought this was hilarious (laughs) and so she started calling me tiga tanta and so then the um the name just kind of stuck stuck and i used it as a nickname for a while and uh and so then and tiger i mean cat i i fucking love cats and big cats and little cats and all kinds of cats. I grew up with cats. uh, And I really feel like my, like who I am as a person and my personality kind of fits in with like the whole feline thing in a lot of ways. So I took that on as like a personality and especially then as I like started racing professionally and, uh, and my favorite color is purple. And I think one of the first, when I like got, I finally like decided to go pro and I, came out of a place where I had been back in school and like really had to cover up my tattoos and like be very normal. Yeah. And like, I sort of burst back out and like, you know, cut my hair in a mohawk again and dyed it purple. And so that's just started off purple tiger and yeah. Wow. Yeah. It fits. <laughs> Thanks. A little I, bit. I think so. Yeah. It's fun. Cello, cellist. And how far did you go with that? So I, when I, st- I started playing the cello and I, really loved it probably because I was also really good at it I think I like I kind of took off with it and really excelled um pretty quickly yeah so when I was uh in like middle school and high school I was in youth orchestras and whatever city we were living in and I was usually first or second chair yeah of those and then um when uh and then when I graduated from high school, I played in the university orchestra, but I also got into like improv and playing with like rock bands and jazz musicians cool. and, and that kind of thing. And so I did entertain the idea of becoming a cellist as a profession, like in sort of the rock and like dance world. Yeah. Um, because I was just having so much fun with it. But um, yeah, I didn't. And I never really followed through with that. I felt yeah. like I like the more adult decision was to go to grad school and yeah, okay, be a genetics researcher. I guess. Do Do you think you could? Pe- do you still play it? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, so yeah, now yeah. yeah, like um, so so yeah. When you know when I was at my like cello prime, I was <laughs> I was in like a local band in Toronto. We toured the U.S. I got to play on BBC Radio. Oh, London cool. and had some re- and got to like do um participate in uh I was like the cellist in like a one person show on the university campus and I um got to perform with a group in that was like a band slash dance production in Berlin that wears on for like a couple of days. Yeah. So I've had some super, super cool opportunities Wow. with my cello and it's taken me like all over the world. Yeah. Um, but now I play for fun yeah. here and there. If I, I find that if I have 
some sort of gig or something that I need to play for, then I will like practice a lot. But yeah. I um I definitely don't get it out as much as I would like to. And it's yeah. just because I don't have time. Yeah, of course. Or I don't make the time, really. Yeah. Well, yeah, you don't prioritize that I time, but yeah. it's because you've got... I've got so many, yeah. yeah. Because triathlon, yeah, is 24-7. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What's harder to travel with, a cello or a bike? <laughs> or a bike. <laughs> yeah, you know, these days... Uh... <clears throat> Probably, I mean, probably a bike is a little bit more cumbersome still. Yeah. A cello, at least you can, like, I can, you know, you can carry it on your back in, like, a backpack, ca- you know, a case oh, yeah, has straps yeah. and yeah. it will have a backpack. But I yeah. remember when I was first traveling with my cello and I didn't have a flight case or I didn't want to put it underneath the plane. Yeah. I actually had to buy a seat for it on the airplane and it would travel with me. You can't do that anymore. Oh, really? Yeah. But at the time, there are several times that I have flown across <laughs> the Atlantic with my cello sitting next to me. Or once the cello got business class <laughs> and I had to sit in economy. What? How does that even happen? I don't even know. I think it, like, it just didn't fit somehow next so to they me. they put it up so in, business, it in class. business class. That is a pisser. Yeah. <laughs> Did it get to meet the pilot as well? <laughs> that'd Probably. Be, that'd be a funny little series. <laughs> the pilot comes back. How you doing? <laughs> champagne. <laughs> Not that the pilot's offering the champagne, but who knows what who happens knows? in business class. Know, right? We haven't been there. <laughs> yeah, who knows?